This is season three of the Dundeal Football Podcast. And in this season, I'm going to be talking mainly about my football industry and covered course I did on YouTube um, towards the beginning of this year. I touch on loads of interesting topics, including football transfers, player contracts, boot deals explained, what goes into an image rights contract, FFP, player football agency, third party investments, etc. Hope there's loads of good content for you to get stuck into. And as always, let me have your comments, your feedback. I very much hope you enjoy it. Happy listening. So as usual, uh, just remember the content's always there. It's on my website. It's on YouTube rather than it'll be on the website as well. Uh, a few people were asking also um, about um, my shop also for where you can get the caps and that type of stuff. So I'm just going to literally just type in my website in case anybody is interested, which is called 13shop.co.uk. Um, and all the proceeds there go to um, cancer research charities I talked about yesterday. There's hopefully some good merch for everybody um, and the rest. Okay, so let's uh, talk about social media. As usual, I'm going to try and break it down into three um, particular areas. <clears throat> I want to try and do a little bit of an overview on social media, its sort of pitfalls and advantages more generally. Um, I also want to be able to... Um, discuss uh, some examples basically of showing where there is opportunity for players to do great stuff whilst also there are big risk areas and there's been a number of players that um, have fallen foul of the particularly FA regulations um, that I've made some examples of. Um, I want to also then touch on the third point. So if the first point is overview, second point is opportunities and risks. And if the third point is giving actually a little bit of guidance that I will sometimes give to players um, and coaches and people generally in the game as to what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing. And and lastly, what some clubs are doing as well. But I think it's also fair to say, just by a um, starting point, when we talked about um, image rights and boot deals and et cetera and the, the commercial side of football, it's, I think, important to note that a lot of the time um, it might not actually be the player that is um, controlling um, his or her own social media channels. He may have, she may have final say in what's being said, but a lot of the time it's sometimes outsourced to um, a third party company. So that's maybe something we can talk about as well. So um, they're the three areas, overview, opportunity or risk, and then some guidance and what clubs are doing. Um, so here's the quiz, quiz question um, as we go along. Hopefully it doesn't distract you from um, listening into what we're gonna discuss. Um, and I think you can probably have your choice. If I just uh, reach out here, you can either maybe have your choice of um, a football agent book, that's Dr. Urquhart's book, um, or a Dundeal book, or maybe maybe we can um, give you one of each and send it uh, across as necessary. But no Googling, please. There's obviously no uh, tests here, but ideally just try and rack your brains, have a think about um, what the answer might be. So let me um, go through the, the question. So uh, in... Uh, and this is uh, EPL players, so Premier League players that were sanctioned by the Football Association. So what I want from you is uh, for the answer is two um, are two players. So I want you to tell me who was the first EPL player to be sanctioned for a Twitter message he wrote. So that's the first one. Who was the first EPL player to be sanctioned? for a Twitter message he wrote. And the second one was, who was the first EPL player to be banned for a Twitter message that he wrote? 
So the first one is first EPL player to be sanctioned for a Twitter message. The second is the first EPL player to be banned, i.e. suspended from matches from a player, from a, from a um, uh, set of games. Okay, so two, uh, I would, I, in one message, I'd like two names if possible, please. Okay, so uh, I'll leave you to those fun and games and let's start with thinking about uh, social media. All right. So I think, I think it's fair to say that football is always going to be in the headlines, be it um, late night drinking, um, particular newspaper stories, mega transfers, and all of those um, issues create pretty big news. Therefore, you know, local media, national media, international media for a long time had relayed, relied on um, access to players and clubs and managers for, for that information. Now, with the advent of Twitter and other social media platforms, Insta, Snap, you know, TikTok, um, um, you know, uh, plenty of others, they've really provided a pretty more, a pretty substantive direct channel of communication um, and interaction with the players. And, and that has revolutionized things because players then can communicate instantaneously with followers and that ease of communication and uh, instantaneous nature um, of, you know, tweeting or sending messages means really that players make mistakes and mishaps are, are pretty usual. Um, and obviously, the more high profile the player, the, the, the more high profile the story. And I think, you know, the important thing to say there is, you know, I, I talk, talk about myself as a, um, a football lawyer, but sometimes what actually I'm, to, what I'm dealing with is compliance. And this actually is a bit of a compliance issue where really what is happening is the FA are particularly charging players when they are tweeting or making reference to things that go wrong. So I just wanted to reference what I put in my book, actually, but what the FA guidance is on posting messages on Twitter. So they say social network sites like Twitter must be regarded as being in the public domain and all participants need to be aware in the same way as if making a public statement in other forms of media that any comments would be transmitted to a wider audience. It's their responsibility to ensure only appropriate comments are used. My usual approach when I'm speaking to players is so long as you are happy that whatever you are typing is exactly the same as what you would if a microphone was stuck um, um, near you for an interview, post or pre-interview for a match, you'd be happy saying the same thing to the entire world. And so long as that is the case, um, that ultimately uh, is the most important element. So it, it really is there, like, you know, think before you tweet, think before you message, but obviously it's easier said than done. And and as much now as players obviously need to show common sense for things they do on the pitch, it's vital that they're doing and showing common sense for things they do off the pitch because the benefit of social media is obviously players can now directly interact with fans, but never has the impact of being able to communicate so directly um, being so problematic at the same time because social media opens up that Pandora's box of opinions and, and things will always go wrong. And because the clubs generally in the past had a monopoly over the control of the communication because, you know, the players did interviews, they did print interviews, they did, um, you know, particular radio interviews on the whole. But because clubs generally aren't going to be able to provide some type of vetting of the communications that are being sent out from all of these players. They're relying on the player to use his or her better judgment. And, you know, mobile phones and multi-platform devices, you can text, instant message, 
um, uh, photo um, particular messages, um, be able to photograph people doing things they shouldn't necessarily be doing. So all of that um, means that, you know, the ability to tweet or Insta um, means that there's just a very simple avenue for footballers to to do, um, to to start doing, which could potentially um, get them into trouble. And so, yeah, there were a few examples I wanted to give, actually, that I was just looking at um, relatively recently. It was a while back now, but um, Darren Bent, actually, um, a long time ago, uh, back in 2009, actually used Twitter to berate um, continual uh, Spurs chairman, the um, Spurs chairman continually now, David uh, Daniel Levy, before his transfer to Sunderland, yeah, back in 2009, where I believe he used some pretty colourful language to ask Levy to speed up the process um, because he thought the transfer was taking too long. Hours later, um, Bent apologised, but the transfer had happened. Um, but, you know, that is the type of thing that can happen pretty regularly. Um, ultimately, usually clubs and players and agents don't really want that type of thing being played out in public, but it, but it does happen. And I think you might have seen, it was when Ronald Koeman, I think also was, um, when he was manager of Everton um, a couple of seasons ago, I think he uh, posted it, well, I know he posted a picture um, of his Christmas tree covered with red tinsel. Um, and obviously being the Everton manager, that didn't go down too well with Everton fans that um, because Liverpool, their arch rivals playing red, which which promptly turned him and he had to change the colour scheme of his Christmas tree to a more appropriate um blue and white so um i think the point generally being is that social media can be a pretty unforgiving place um but at the same time it gives those players and managers a direct channel to fans an avenue that wasn't possible even probably just about a decade ago when things um uh, when things started blowing up um from the, the social media side but what i also wanted to do was touch on a couple of examples um, and these aren't the answer to any of the questions you would please know but I wanted to touch on the the Mario Balotelli story basically because that was a uh, an interesting one that occurred back in 2014 it was so in December 2014 um, the FA charged Balotelli um, and found him guilty Balotelli was at Liverpool at the time um, for reposting an Instagram message um, which um, related to um, the, the computer game Super Mario. And the, the message effectively said, Mario, something on the lines of, jumps like a black man and grabs coins like a Jew. That was the phrase he used. And the message was um, pretty quickly deleted by Balotelli, who then tweeted, because he was adopted by um, a Jewish couple, my mum is Jewish, so please shut up, or something to that effect as well. Um, and he was referring to his um, his foster mother. Um, and obviously then, I think his point of view was, because he was black and because he felt Jewish, resonated and drew, grew up in a Jewish household, he was allowed to make fun of the fact um, in that way. Now, I'm just going to read again what the FA said, because the FA disagreed that it was a bit of fun. Um, so their charge sheet basically said, it's alleged that the Liverpool player breached FA rules at E3-1 in that, posting, in that the posting was abusive and or insulting and or improper. Further alleged that this was an aggravated breach of the rule as well, based on ethnic origin, colour, race, nationality and or religion or belief. So it was. I found that an interesting one because in a way he was making fun of his own upbringing 
but at the same time was still charged um, and found guilty of breach of that FA rule. So it was effectively no defence of the charge um, that he was indeed felt and felt Jewish and obviously was, uh, was black. Um, what I'm going to give you another example of was, yeah, I was looking at a couple of examples there. I see a lot of people have mentioned Ashley Cole. Yeah, so in 2012, Cole actually, when he was at Chelsea, was fined £90,000 when he called the FA a choice set of words that I'm not going to repeat here. Um, and that was in relation to um, Cole's outburst after there was a, um, a regulatory commission investigation into the John Terry racial abuse um, matter. So that was uh, not the first example of a sanction, um, but uh, was one of the first ones that, that cropped up. So um, I've given a, a bit of an overview, some uh, um, instances of where things have uh, necessarily gone wrong. And what I wanted to do is just give a few examples of some of the some types of advice, guidance that whenever players I'm chatting to are asking or their agents are asking or their social media managers are asking, you know, what are the types of things that players need to be thinking about and be made, being made aware of? Um, usually there's a little bit of guidance that I give as a rule of thumb, but obviously it's not exhaustive. Um, but there are probably four or five things that I, I try and do. And it's the same things that I sometimes think about myself whenever I'm tweeting, obviously on a much lesser scale to much fewer, far fewer people. But my, my general view on um, social media is um, if you don't have anything positive to say, don't say it. That's my general view on stuff is that I will always try and be positive um, be genuine but if there are things that I don't necessarily believe are correct or otherwise I don't necessarily think um, social media is probably the way to um, amplify those negative messages on the whole so what are the things that I will say to um, to players and coaches and people involved in the game if they have um, social media accounts and are making reference to them um, I think that one of the important things is not to give away tactical information that could aid um, opposite opposition teams um, Ryan Babel a while back actually announced on Twitter that he'd been dropped and wasn't playing. Um, I think that's a game against Stoke, but obviously Stoke didn't know that um, at the time. Uh, the next bit I would say is um, a sort of cooling off period. So you shouldn't be tweeting until after a few hours after the game. Some leagues and entities actually have cool off periods where they actually make reference to the fact that they shouldn't be tweeting or being on social media and messaging um, a few hours before and after um, the game. Just because, you know, frustrations can boil over and it might not be the best time to make comments about controversial moments in the game, um, about the referee, about teammates, about opposing players, um, or even about their own manager. Um, it goes without saying, you really don't want to be giving out personal information about particular things, um, uh, posting bank details, where you live, generally where you're going out, because, you know, that could invade on um, and um, really um, cause problems for your own privacy. And as a very general overview, it's not a clever idea to be um, um, arguing with followers across whichever um, platform you're on. Um, and there have been plenty of instances where players will get drawn into conversations that they don't really need to be having. Um, but that's a wider point as well, which is why, do, uh, why is it that there is so much negativity on social media generally? You know, hopefully it can be seen as a, as a positive sometimes, but a lot of the time it's just a way of baiting players um, and high profile people to try and take the bait sometimes. So um, that's some of the guidance. I just wanted to mention one other thing that some of the um, 
clubs are actually doing as well, which is a lot of the time now clubs are employing um, social media companies, data analytics companies um, to forensically look through a player's social media posts um, simply because there may be instances of posts or things that have been said um, that uh, would potentially be embarrassing to the player, to the club, to particular parts of the community. Andre Gray, Andre Gray, for example, when he was at Burnley and has just scored a couple of goals against Liverpool, I think, which obviously brought him to the national um, consciousness. Um, I think a, a reporter looked through back over his social posts and found um, very homophobic um, uh, remarks that he had previously made. He obviously apologised and um, uh, I think had a ban in place, put in place by the FA. But at that point, the FA hadn't even investigated in the first place because no one had taken the time to look through all of those tweets and messages. So what clubs can now be proactively doing is um, looking through um, a player's social media profiles generally to make sure that there's no um, uh, issues that could crop up later down the line. So uh, that is that bit of an overview, uh, opportunity or risk, and then a little bit of guidance that I'll sometimes give to players and what clubs um, can be doing as well. So we are at 18 minutes. Apologies, gone over a little bit. Uh, but what I'm now going to try and do is just go through a few questions um, and see uh, what people are asking. But before I do that, let's have a quick look to see if anybody got the answers right. So the answer, the question was, who was the first EPL player to be sanctioned for a Twitter message? Um, the answer was Ryan Babble back in 2010. Um, he put a picture of a referee um, up in a Manchester United shirt, Howard Webb, after uh, Liverpool lost a controversial game, I think, um, and uh, which is obviously questioning the integrity of the, um, the referee. And the first player to actually be banned was um, Rio Ferdinand in response to um, a Twitter message he received. Um, and he was, uh, yeah, the first player banned for that. So I'm just going to have a look down the list to see if anybody got Babel and Ferdinand. Colin Gray, Babel, Babel. We've got some Babels. Babel's actually called Babel and Ferdinand, question mark. Tom Edwards. Tom Edwards looks like you're the first one that got there. So, uh, Tom, if you can just send me um, a message afterwards or an email or um, just uh, DM me or Instagram me and um, I can get your details and I can send you um, some of the books. Thank you very much for all of that. Um, okay, let's start going with some questions. Um, we've got Mazar. How is social media incorporated into a player's contract commercially disciplinary etc does the following find a mention so um <clears throat> there's there's a few ways that usually happens there tends to always be uh, different policies that the club will provide um to players and those policies and social media policies um will vary quite considerably amongst different clubs there are some clubs that really don't want players tweeting or messaging on match day there are some that don't want obviously um people and play, players and managers, et cetera, and backroom staff taking pictures in and around um, the training centre, in and around the dressing room, et cetera, um, for particular reasons for giving out tactical advantages, et cetera. So it varies between clubs, but there are definitely uh, different types of social media, behavioural policies, wider policies generally. 
But alongside that, they can obviously be subjected to employment disciplinary issues. Alongside that, then there are the FA regulations effectively of not bringing um, the game into disrepute. So uh, that's Mazel's question. Rhys, um, thanks for your comment. I'm aspiring to work in the media side of football. And that's currently uh, what to run my channel, uh, Ron. Be great if you could check it out. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course, I can check that out for sure. No problem. Um, Javier, we know in today's industry to have a clean and well-managed social media is increasingly important for players. What about coaches? Do you think it is something they could exploit as well? Well, as I mentioned uh, last week, you know, social media as part of a bigger brand engagement strategy is becoming pretty important for a lot of um, people. Uh, we work with loads of players that have got great social media teams and brand teams that are doing just really good work in, in putting the player's voice out there, as I mentioned, in a pretty authentic um, and uh, you know, substantive way and genuine way that, that the player's talking about the things that they actually want to talk about, climate change, fashion, <clears throat> um, particular causes that are very important to them, particular charities that they want to get involved in to spread the messages, etc. So um, on coaches specifically, I haven't seen as many coaches embrace social media to the same degree. Um, and that could be for lots of different reasons. It may also be because maybe players have a bit more time on their hands when they are not um, uh, training um, or playing matches, whereas coaches' um, positions tend to be a little bit 24-7, um, in my experience. Um, Mazar, you had another question. How is social media playing a part in today's situation in fulfilling obligations? Are there set targets of engagements? Well, what can usually happen, as I mentioned in the image rights um, session last week, was that um, a lot of the time um, in a player's image rights deal with the club, i.e. remember the player's image rights company contracts with the club, there will likely be um, obligations on the player's image rights company through the player to post particular um, uh, tweets, to post particular things on a variety of their different channels as necessary to help amplify club channel related matters, to put content out there in different ways. So on the club side, that can be vital. Um, on the normal brand side, that can also be pretty important too. And it can be the case that for brand engagements, ambassadorial deals, boot deals, etc., that there will be requirements to post a certain amount of content across their social media channels. And it might get even more prescriptive as a lot of different um, things, or it might be you know eight um, posts on Facebook, six on Instagram, three on Twitter, um, across those different channels, um, a variety of different types. Um, Samuel Smith, to what extent is a player liable for tweets written by their management agent, etc., on the player's social media? It's a really good point, and it actually happened um, a while back in one of the references I make in my book to, I think it was Christian Benteke. So he was leaving Liverpool, and his social media team was obviously a, a smaller issue, but still relatively embarrassing. Um, he, The social media team put that he was really happy to be joining um, Burnley. The issue was is that actually he had just signed or was about to sign for Crystal Palace. So he had to write a message afterwards saying, really sorry guys, this is one of my team saying it. Um, apologies for any confusion. But um, yeah, I think you've got to, that players have got to be very careful that if the Twitter account is in their name, they are ultimately responsible. Um, and usually what happens a lot of the time is that the players will ask 
that any tweet that goes out or any message that goes out or any post generally um, only goes out with their approval first. And that usually is the case that happens at least a lot of the time. Um, Dr. Urquhart, um, you think clubs are getting worried about growing uh, players' social media influence, direct connection with fans, players don't need the usual media, commercial bargaining power with clubs and brands, question mark. Yeah, I mean, that, that, is, that is the point there to a degree, which is clubs are having less control over what the players are effectively doing because they've got access, direct access to markets. Um, and it's the same um, with all of those things. Like there are, there are some players... Um, I was thinking um, Chicharito, who was the, um, the the Mexican international who was at West Ham. He actually had a bigger social media presence than West Ham did. So it's crazy to think that. And it's the same with Mesut, for example, with, with one of the, the main players that Dr. Eckert works for. His social media presence is much bigger than a significant number of Premier League clubs, which is crazy to think about just generally is that players are such huge commercial brands in their own right now. It's um, incredible. Um, Mazel's question, social media and COVID-19, uh, the effect for the future. Well, yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, I think at the moment, because there is no, there is no live content out there, I know from my, my experience of chatting to a few uh, production companies and broadcasting companies and social media and brand entities and agencies, you know, players and clubs are looking for looking for high quality content at the moment to be able to put out. So at least in the interim, um, whilst everybody's eyeballs are more focused on the internet because not everyone is at work, there's a lot of people that unfortunately aren't working at the moment and that there's more time to be able to be online that I think a lot of people in the right way are looking to exploit that um, to be able to help people out just like this course is to a degree at um, that particular time. Uh, we've got a few more minutes still to go. Uh, Sam Smith, Sam Smith, commercially, which social media site do you think is the most lucrative, valuable to players and to clubs? And which do you think has untapped potential? I'm probably not the best one to um, speculate on that, um, only because, you know, I, my own experience is, um, and this is from working with a great social media guy, Bart, that I've been working with for the last few months now as well, um, my, I don't, I don't know is the answer because I don't see the numbers and I don't see the levels of engagement and I don't see the organic reach um, and the potential for amplification of messages. All I can say is that um, I, I went on Twitter from November time onwards, and I, sorry, Twitter on TikTok um, from November time onwards. But you'll be, you'll be pleased to know I wasn't dancing or singing, um, but I was more or less just repurposing some of my content for very short, sharp um, little excerpts. And the organic reach and the views um, over that period was crazy. It's like for a, a month period, I was getting over six or seven hundred thousand views as an organic reach with not that many followers. Whereas um, Twitter, even with quite a decent following of a, um, uh, twenty thousand or so, that that can be you know pretty significant. But the engagement there wouldn't have been half or um, you know significantly more uh, substantive than um, than my reach on TikTok for that period. Although my TikTok audience would obviously be um, a lot younger and the, the Twitter demographic would be probably considerably older. Um, global Travelpreneur, 
great name. Should young players be encouraged to build a social media profile before they become regulars with their club? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, a lot of the younger players are so tech savvy and are in that generation where social media and brand and message um, and authenticity becomes really, really important. So a lot of the time, depending on... Um, you know, the financial means, their access to good advice um, and working with great brands, etc. Um, it's like anything. You don't really want to be, um, you don't want to be taking huge risks with your social media because it can impact on that player and that player's brand quite considerably. But yes is the answer. Get good advice, work with the right type of people, think about the type of message you want to get out there and think about it as a long-term strategy. Don't think about just the low-hanging fruit of what you might be able to earn a short a bit of money on in the short term, but actually what you want to portray so that's authenticity and genuine interest in the subjects that you're trying to advocate, advocate um, then um, hold you in good stead um, in the longer term. Uh, Samuel Smith again, uh, other than media scrutiny, reputational damage, is there anything regulating bodies like the FA on social media, i.e. poorly thought out or rash press statement by the FA? Are there guidelines? Um, so anything regulating bodies like the FA? So you said, uh, I'm not quite sure which way around. So are you saying, because um, it's usually the FA that regulates um, everyone else for bringing the game into disrepute and that um, rule um, e matters. So I might just need a bit of clarification there. Uh, Nate, how important do you think social media influences for football agents in acquiring talent and getting deals done for their players? Um, I ultimately think that for the absolute vast majority of players and agents, they're thinking about on-field talent and capabilities. It sometimes helps the clubs um, that they've got a very savvy, um, uh, well-branded and well, a great reputation branded player. But on the whole, it's for on-field related matters generally. Um, I'm trying to pronounce that name right. G-Day, hopefully. G-Day. At what age would should young players be building their social media presence? Look, ultimately, in the end, it's um, not necessarily when, but it's ultimately when they've got something interesting to say. Um, if they've got um, uh, things that they want to push out there, if they've got important things that they want to be able to say, um, but ultimately, it's you know there's no there's no right age. It's just got to be what's best and right for uh, the player and the the, the players um, team really. Um, Max, uh, do you think Bundesliga clubs having media offices in the US is something that may come into play in other countries, or would they be considered out of touch? with the traditionalism example of UK clubs, Bundesliga clubs having media offices in the US. I wasn't aware of that. I mean, I think, well, there are, so you, the Bundesliga itself having US um, offices or actual Bundesliga, it seems like Bundesliga clubs. Now, that sometimes could be the case. Some bigger clubs have particular smaller offices in other parts of the world that usually tends to be for commercial operations to be able to find local commercial deals and then have particular regional bases i wasn't sure whether they actually have media offices out there i haven't been aware of that but that, that might well be the case uh, michael can a team national fa sanction a player for post during the pandemic in some countries some players um, are in a state of partial unemployment um, it's a good question, and I don't know the answer. I mean, I think that if you are still bound by the football regulations in whichever country um, um, that you are still participating in and still registered in, you're still having the possibility of 
potentially being sanctions in my, my first thoughts. Um, how do you think a young, and this is uh, Nikos, how do you think a young uh, potential player would use social media properly? Uh, should they act in a professional way or just be more expressive? It's just finding your own voice. Um, again, I'm not the expert at this, but I see lots of great examples of, um, of young kids doing, um, doing great stuff um, and then making videos, getting people involved in stuff and putting their brand and their personality and that, that authenticity that I talked about. Um, Javier, do you know how brands like 433 work or make deals with clubs? Clearly, it's a massive market. Do you think it is one of the reasons Otro developed um, like a 433, but only elite players showing daily lives? Yeah, look, I think ultimately, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, unfortunately. I'm not the, the commercial guy on that, but uh, let me get back to you on that one. I'll try and find some answers. Samuel Smith, um, appreciate the FA, etc. regulate players' press statements um, and social media. Who then regulates the FA's own tweets? Um, perhaps if the FA tweets something offensive and it hasn't been vetted. Um the, the, there is no one regulating the FA to that degree. It would ultimately be the laws of the land um, in uh, tweeting things that would be offensive or, you know, would uh, breach particular laws on defamation or liable, etc. But yeah, the FA isn't regulated in the same way that it regulates its participants. Um, yeah. So we are at 34 minutes. Um, thank you, everybody, for, for joining on a Friday. Um, it's been great to have a good week's worth of um, football industry course. As usual, my regular feature is to recommend um, a book. Um, the book today is actually a pretty um, special book for me. Um, it's a book by um, a fantastic writer called uh, Clayton Christensen. Now, uh, Mr. Christensen, unfortunately, pretty tragically died um, less than a month ago. And he is a, was a Harvard professor um, doing fantastic work and he had a brilliant book called um, Disruptive Innovation but he was a deeply um, religious guy as well and although the Disruptive Innovation book is brilliant, this book on how um, will you measure your life um, is all to do with um, making sure that you put the resources and prioritise things the way that you want to prioritise things in life there's loads of really interesting facets of this but his basic principle is if you want to invest into your home life you have to invest in your home life you can't just expect that if you work 24 7 um that um your wife or husband um is still going to be there in 10 years or 15 years and you're going to have a great relationship just in the same way that if you have kids but you never see them that you're going to be able to um you know, build strong relationships. And it's the same in the workplace. It's the same in your family life. It's the same in everywhere. So yeah, I'd really recommend that book. How will you measure your life? Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast. Like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers, and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, 
podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.